Uh, today for our family service, we actually get to uh, finish out the study that we've been in on Thessalonians. We've made our way chapter by chapter, and with the holidays and such, we, we took a break from it, but now we're picking back up to end the year with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and that is the last chapter of 2 Thessalonians. And just a quick recap for us, uh, we've seen uh, Paul uh, address a church that is a young church. In Acts 17, we see Paul come to the, the town of Thessalonica, and he goes to the synagogue, and he begins to reason with the Jews, it says. He begins to share the goodness of, of the gospel and that Jesus is the Messiah, and this revival breaks out. The church is birthed. There's a move of God happening, and, and the moment that there's a move of God happening, then Satan pops his head up and tries to stop it. He tries to, to, to uh, uh, stop what God is doing. And so what does he do? When there's a revival, he brings a riot. He brings a mob of people to gather together and say, we're gonna stop this. And so that's the setting, if you will, of the church there in Thessalonica. And these Thessalonian Christians are, are being heavily persecuted. And so Paul is writing to them in, in the first book and he's encouraging them to, to be rooted and grounded in Christ, to, to stand firm in the face of adversity. And he, he even tells them that you should expect this, that anytime you're living for God, there's going to be opposition. And I think that's important for us to know because oftentimes when we face opposition, we think it must not be God, that I must be doing the wrong thing. I, God, I stepped out in faith and I fell, fell on my face. I met opposition. People were against me. It must, have been, it must have been my flesh. God, did I miss what you were saying? And Paul was encouraging the church. No, friends, you should expect opposition. Matter of fact, he goes on to let them know that if you're not experiencing opposition, that it might not be God. Because anytime you do something great for the Lord, the devil doesn't like it. We have an adversary, an opposer. And so he's teaching the church these things. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he has to now write to the church again because the persecution not only was on the outside, it had found a door to get on the inside. And on the inside, the, uh, there was an open door for Satan to come in and cause confusion and cause division in the church. There were people that were, were talking bad about Paul. Their pastor was talking bad about him and, and causing confusion and even writing false letters, signing it like it was Paul and sending it to the church. And, and, and it was all about the second coming of the Lord. First and second Thessalonians, the, the central theme in that is not only adversity and opposition and standing firm, it's all leading up to the second coming of Christ. And we just celebrated the first coming of Christ with the birth of Jesus, but we know, church, that he's gonna come again, amen? He's coming again, and that is the hope that we have, that Christ will return. And so Paul begins to, in second Thessalonians, correct them correct some things and clarify some things. And, and all that he's telling them, I find it funny, he, he even writes that he's a, like a parent to them, like a dad and a mom, and it shows because he's having to remind them of things that he already told them. <laughs> Come on, parents, how many of you, you have to remind your kids of something that you already told them? You know, and kids, you know what I'm talking about. Your mom's already told you to clean your room. And then she walks in like, hey, I thought you were supposed to be cleaning your room. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot, right? And, and so Paul's having to do the same thing just like a parent. He's like, I've already told you this stuff, guys. I was with you. And now I've got to write to you a letter and I had to tell you again. And that's what he's doing. But not only that, he's pastoring the church because the people are hurting. The people are broken. 
The people are sad, they're divided, they're confused, and they they don't know what's up from down and left from right, and they're wondering what in the world's going on. And so Paul begins to encourage the believer and let them know that in Christ Jesus, we can stand firm, that he is our hope, that he is our anchor, that when the world is tossing to and fro, there is a steadiness in Christ. And then he begins to exhort them, and we saw that in chapter two when he was exhorting them. And and exhort means to, to urge them to do something. So when you hear the word like exhortation, as you see the title of today on your, on your notes, you saw exhortation. What that means is that we're urging you to do something. There's a lot of times in the Bible, especially in Paul's writing, where he's exhorting the church, urging them to do certain things because they're in the middle of it. Anybody ever been in the middle of it? Just they were just in the middle of it and they couldn't see clearly. And Paul was now on the outside, he could see clearly and he can exhort and and urge them and charge them and command them, hey, do this because you're not seeing clearly, your head's not on straight. And so he continues that out of chapter two of 2 Thessalonians into chapter three, where we'll pick up today. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter three, we're gonna read the first five verses as a launching pad for us today. And even in these five verses, they're so rich that we're gonna get all of our five points from the five verses today. And so as we do custom around here, I know you just stood in worship, you stood in worship for the offering, but we're gonna stand for the reading of the word. So if you'll grab your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, we have one for you and you can just wave at us or you can go to the back over here. Our ushers are ready for you. We have bistro tables in the back with Bibles on them. You can grab one of those at any time. They are yours, you can take it, Uh, but we would love for you to have a Bible. What better thing to have in your hands with the new year? than a Bible, God's word. This is a lamp and a light unto our feet. It lights our path up, it directs us. And so go to 2 Thessalonians chapter three, and we're gonna read the first five verses to get us started today. As always, you can follow along on the screen as well. First, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter three, verse one. Paul says, finally, brothers, pray for us, that the word of the Lord might speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we might be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. One more time before you're seated, let's pray. Father, we hear your word. Now we're going to do your word. Speak to us. Open our hearts to receive it. God, change us, transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated today as we talk about exhortation in adversity. Exhortation in adversity. Commands, recommendations, urging you to do something in the middle of your opposition. And if we're being honest, we don't always like that, right? When you're in the middle of something, when you're in the middle of a trial, a, a tribulation, a hardship, opposition is all around you, you don't really receive too well instruction a lot of times. You're like, I don't wanna hear it. I don't need that. I know what I'm doing, right? And the Thessalonians, they, they, they thought that way as well, but then they had Paul on the scene to write to them, not one letter, but two letters to bring them some exhortation. And so we're simply gonna break down these five verses to pull out what he's saying. What are the exhortations that he's giving the church? And the first one is in verse, in verse number one, right there. He says, finally, brothers, pray for us. 
In your notes, number one, the first exhortation would be pray to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. If we, if we just like the Thessalonian church, wanna be a healthy church, wanna be a church that God's gonna use, wanna be a church that perseveres through adversity and makes it through it to be better and stronger, to be all that God's called us to be, then we should pray to the Lord. We should be people of prayer. And matter of fact, with this being the last Sunday, I know a lot of people's minds are around resolutions and, and goals and what I'm gonna do for the new year. Can we just make it our goal to be not only healthy individually, but to be healthy as a body of Christ? That 2024 is gonna be the year that we're healthy. And the first thing we can do is be people of prayer, that we commit to being people of prayer. That prayer is not just something that, that we do when we eat or before we go to bed. Matter of fact, most of us, those who are followers of Christ, when it comes to prayer, you hear sermon after sermon. Matter of fact, I think we've talked about six or eight times this year, the topic of prayer. It is something that we know we ought to do, but oftentimes we don't do it as much as we should. Matter of fact, if I was to even have you raise your hands right now and say, how many of you know prayer is important, but you don't do it as much as you should, hands would go up everywhere. Why is that? Why is that? Why is something that is so important to us, so important to our faith, why is it that we forget to do it? Well, maybe you have various reasons, but I would say overwhelmingly, whether we like to admit it or not, I think there's a part of us, especially for us who don't pray as much, would say that they don't believe that their prayers really matter. That we don't believe that our prayers actually move the heart of God, that our prayers actually matter, that God actually hears our prayers. And today I wanna encourage you to let you know that they're free and that is so far from the truth. You see, the world would paint a picture to make you believe that God is some far off God in an unforeseen galaxy so disconnected from his creation that you think that, that you could never have access to him. But that is such the opposite of what God says. God so much created you in the garden. He created humans in the garden and walked with them so he could connect with them. And then when sin came in the world and it separated us from God, what did he do? He desired so much to, to reconcile, that, and reconcile that connection that he sent his son Jesus to die so that you could be reconciled with him. And then as Jesus rose from the grave, went back to sit at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says he's making mention to God on your behalf. He's talking to God about you then what does God do? He sends his very spirit to live inside of you. Friends, do you see how much our God wants to connect with you? That prayer is your line of connection to God. That prayer connects you to your creator. That, that no other religion can touch this. Every other God in this world is dead. And the prayers of, their, of those followers fall on dead, deaf ears. But our God is alive and he hears you. He wants to be connected with you. It doesn't matter how big that problem is, how small that problem is. It doesn't matter the, the good, the bad, or the ugly. God just wants to be connected with you. And I think for us, the, the number one resolution or the number one goal for us in the new year, beyond getting in shape, beyond eating healthy, beyond saving money or spending less money, should be to be connected to God. That maybe this year would be the year that I would connect to my God that I would actually surrender. It's nothing you're initiating. He's already initiated it. He already wants to connect with you. He's already drawing you in, but this may be the year that you surrender to that pull of the Holy Spirit that's connecting you to God. And so Paul is telling the church to pray 
to pray in the midst of adversity, when our souls are weak, in the midst of adversity, when our heads are spinning, in the midst of opposition, when we can't see up from down and our hearts are breaking, we should be people of prayer, that we should go to God. And very practically in the scripture, there's two things that Paul uh, asked them to pray for. You see it clearly there. Number one, he says, pray for the messenger. Pray for Paul. Paul asked for prayer. Now this church is a baby church. It's a, it, these believers are less than a year old. And Paul is saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. That, that, that shows that it doesn't matter if you've been saved for a day or a decade, that your prayers matter. And Paul believed that, so much so that he is asking these Christians who are in the middle of their own mess, their own opposition, own persecution, hey, would you pray for me? As a church, we should be praying for our pastor. We should be praying for our pastoral team, our staff, our leadership. Seven times at least in the Bible, Paul asked a church to pray for him. If Paul is humble enough to ask for prayer, then who am I? not to ask the church to be praying for me, to pray for me. May this year be the year that we pray for our pastors, pray for our leaders, pray that I will boldly proclaim the gospel, that I would stand the attacks of the enemy, pray that my family would be protected from those attacks, pray that I might listen to the Holy Spirit and be led by God, to lead God's people. You know, I heard it said that it's, on Saturdays that Satan shows up to the preacher's house. And so I, I would say that's true. If something could go wrong on a Saturday, it often goes wrong on that Saturday. As I'm, as I'm sitting down trying to put the last minute preparations on everything and hear from the Lord, everything goes wrong. If there's a day that my kids don't wanna wake up, it's Sunday morning, right? They, if it's a day that they didn't sleep well, it's Saturday nights. My daughter was up. I'm telling you, it always happens that way. So if you need a day that you want to designate praying for me, make it Saturday. Because Saturday is the day Satan shows up at the Watkins house. And so he says, pray for the messenger. But he also says, pray for the message. That the word of God would speed forth. That there would be no hindrance, no opposition. That it would, it would complete its work. That it would be able to go and be received. He's saying, pray for the word of God to go forth, for it to be planted in good soil, that the hearers would surrender to it, not just hear it, but do it. And that this word would not only just spread in this house, we shouldn't be just praying for this house, but for every church that's preaching the gospel, that every tribe, tongue, and nation would hear the goodness of God. That's why we support 50, almost now 60 missionaries every single month, because we want the word of the Lord to spring, to spring forth. And so if we're going to pray for the word, like Paul encourages the church, guess what? We got to preach the word. And I think that it's so important for us to pray for the word of God, to pray for churches, to preach the word of God, because we're coming into the last days of the last days, and people don't want to preach the word of God. They don't want to preach the truth. The Bible tells us that they will gather for themselves those which will scratch their itching ears. And so we have to make sure that we preach the word of God. May 2024 be the year that we continue to preach the word of the Lord. And so he says that preach it, I mean, pray for it so it doesn't be hindered. Well, that shows us right there that Satan's doing everything he can to hinder the word of the Lord. Everything. He's distracting the people, the hearers, 
to bring hindrance to that. So they can't receive that. So that's why you're always distracted. That's why your phone always blows up when you're in, in church. That's why your kids are always screaming when you're trying to read your Bible at, at the house. That's why you get Facebook notification after Facebook notification, right? It's because Satan is trying to distract you from hearing the life-changing truth of the gospel. And so we must pray against that. If, if, if Paul believes that the church can pray against that, that means that Paul believes the church can pray supernatural prayers because Satan and his army is not natural. Our, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It's not human versus human, it's spiritual. And so it's a spiritual opposition to the word of the Lord. And so when you pray, I think it's important for us to understand that you're engaging in spiritual battle, that your prayer is not just you and God and, and, and English words and you and God and, and how you feel, no, no, no. That's incredible, but it's also engaging spiritually, that when you pray, you're engaging in this spiritual warfare, that you're waging war, that you're on the battleground as you pray. That's why the Bible says pray all kinds of prayers. Pray in the spirit, pray the word of the Lord, because you are engaging in this battle because there's an opposition coming against the word of the Lord. And so that's how we engage in that. That's how we push through that. And so that prayer, it builds our faith. It's a spiritual thing for us. And that's why it's so important in the midst of adversity that we pray because it builds our faith. In the midst of adversity, when it feels like the wind's been knocked out of us, when the midst of adversity, when it feels like we've hit rock bottom, that is the moment that you pray and God by his Holy Spirit can fuel your faith. He can give oxygen back, back to your lungs. He can fill you again with faith to keep on going. And that's our, that's our prayer as we go into 21 days of praying and fasting that this would be a time that we would push away our plates and we would engage in prayer. That we would not, we're not just starving ourselves; we're strengthening our spirits. That we are going to God, believing that he hears us, believing that we can wage war in the heavenlies. That when we pray and when we fast, when we deny ourselves, that our spirit is strengthened and that God moves on our behalf. And so, we're, we're praying and believing for those 21 days that God will strengthen us and he'll hear and he'll move in that. So Paul, he says, pray to the Lord. Number two, you see that at the end of verse two, he says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. If we're gonna be a healthy church, if we're gonna be a church that, that makes it through every season of opposition like the Thessalonians, we not only gotta pray to the Lord, we gotta trust him. That's why he says, he says, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. There it is again, another play on words that Paul loves to do. He says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, I feel like I got a death sentence, but I serve a God who raises the dead. And that's the same thing. He said, not everybody has faith, but the Lord is faithful. What he's saying is that man will fail you, that humans will fail you, that you yourself is not even faithful, but we serve the one who is faithful. He is the God of all gods. He is the faithful God. And so he says, the Lord is faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? When we say God is faithful, it means he is completely trustworthy, that you can trust him, that that is who he is. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that when, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Well, how does he do that? For he cannot deny himself. 
That is who he is. The God that you serve is always on time, always faithful. That's why he says, I'm the God of yesterday, today, and forever. That's why he says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I do not change. He says, my promises will go for a thousand generations. He said, because I am the same, I am faithful. And in the world today that we live in, a faithless generation, a world where you can't depend on anybody, where everything's always changing based on emotion, where myself wants to change just based on my emotion, if I'm, if I'm happy or if I'm sad. In those times, in the midst of adversity and opposition, it is in those times that we can trust in somebody who does not change and his name's Jesus. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, has he been faithful to you? Remember those times. It's imperative in the times of hardship that we remember the times that God was faithful to us. I can recall a conversation that I was having with somebody and we were telling them all that God had done in our life. We were just testifying of the goodness of God and all that he had done. And I remember when that man looked at me and he said, he said, Michael, if he was faithful then, what makes you think he won't be faithful now? If he was faithful then, what makes you think for a moment that he won't be faithful right now? And I think it's important for us to understand and to remember back the faithfulness of God, of how everybody else left me and forsake me, how everybody else talked bad about me, everybody else stabbed me in the back, but my God was right there. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I don't have to fear evil, why? Because you are with me. But realize, you still had to walk through that valley. The shadow of death was still there, looking over your shoulder, trying to kill you, and God said, you still got to walk through it, but I'll be with you. I think it's important for us to understand when we talk about the faithfulness of God and trusting God, that he doesn't always remove us from the peril, but he offers protection in it. He doesn't always remove you from the valley. Matter of fact, he lets death get so close to you that it's overshadowing you. And some of you in the room, you've, you've, you've seen death knock at your door. Even earlier this year, you should have been dead and gone. The doctor said, you're not going to make it. But God provided protection for you in it. And he saw you through it. That's the faithfulness of God. That he doesn't always remove us from the hardship. He doesn't always remove us from the, the, strong, the strongholds. He doesn't always remove us from those trials and tribulations. But he'll provide protection and comfort and peace in it. He will walk with us through it. He did the same thing with Jesus. As we celebrated Christmas last Last week, we read the Christmas story. Maybe you and your family read the Christmas story. Maybe you kept reading to the part that it said that, that Mary and Joseph had to hide. They had to hide uh, Jesus until Herod died because Herod was trying to kill him, right? God could have very easily took Herod out. I mean, he could have just flicked him, boom. He could have just gone. But what did, what did God choose to do? He chose to protect Jesus until Herod died. It's the same thing with us. God doesn't often remove you from your hardships. He just walks with you through it. And I think for 2024, it's important for you to understand that. That 2024, just because you're standing on the promises of God and believing for God to do great things, that this is the year that God's gonna do exceedingly abundantly more, that doesn't mean that you won't have valleys, that you won't have hardships and opposition, trials and tribulations. That just means that God's gonna be with you in it. And so let 2024 be the year that we're connected to our Savior. We're trusting in Him so that He can walk with us through it. And so we see that we can trust in the Lord. Jeremiah 17, Jeremiah 17, 
verse seven, says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence or trust, it means confidence, is in the Lord. This person who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruits. What that scripture is telling us, that when you have confidence in the Lord, when you trust in him, when you plant near him, near streams of living water, it doesn't mean that the drought and the heat won't come. It means that you don't have confidence in those things. You're not wavered in those things. That when the clouds come up and, and it's gonna bring shade, or when the clouds come up and it's gonna bring rain, that doesn't, that doesn't bother you. You don't trust in the clouds. You trust in the one that created the clouds. And so circumstances and seasons will come and go. But 2024, we have to be the one that, are, that is planted near streams of living water. That we are planted in the house of the Lord, as, as Proverbs tells us. That we are planted near those streams of the Lord because we have confidence in him. As you go through life, as we read in Thessalonians, as they go through things, they can have confidence and trust in the Lord. Matter of fact, Paul even says in verse four, he says that we have confidence in the Lord about you. We have confidence in the Lord about you. In hard times, where do you put your confidence? In easy times, where do you put your confidence? In the valley, where do you stake your confidence? On the mountain, where do you put your confidence? Paul says it's in the Lord. Have confidence in the Lord. He will establish you and guard you. And how does he do that? How does he bring about this protection and establishment and guarding us from evil? Well, he says, Paul says, because you're gonna do and will do the things that we commanded. Number, number three, we must obey the word of the Lord. We must obey it. Not only are we hearing it, we're doing it. Matter of fact, when Jesus called his 12 disciples and commissioned them out, we know it as the great commission. And we love to quote it, to go all into the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But he says this, he says to teach them to obey the word of the Lord, to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so we as disciples, not only should be obeying the word of the Lord, but we should be teaching others to obey as well. Well, what does it look like to teach somebody to obey? You know, as I, as I preach, as I'm pastoring, as I'm preaching the word of the Lord, I'm not just telling you to obey, I gotta teach you to obey the word of the Lord. Well, I believe for me, the easiest way for me to obey God's commands is to connect those commands with Jesus. Every command in the Bible, even the 10 commandments, all are, about, all are about connecting me to Jesus Christ. That every rule, every commandment, every do this and don't do that, all of that is to make my connection with Christ stronger. And so as you look at the Bible, maybe you see it as a book with just a bunch of outdated information. Or maybe you see it as a, as a rule book of do this and don't do that. Can I tell you, it's all in there for your benefit so that you can be connected to your creator. And so we see these commands, we obey these commands because they connect us to God. Not only that, you can't even obey the commands without God. You can't do it on your own. You have to have his spirit, his power working through us. That we obey the commands of God because we have 
the Holy Spirit helping us obey the commands of God. And so we see that we should obey the word of the Lord, that we should not do it out of obligation. That's a Christian thing to do. It's the right thing to do. No, no, no. We don't do it out of obligation. We do it out of trust and love for the Lord. You know, kids are in the room and and oftentimes when kids start to understand what you're telling them to do, like go clean your room, go brush your teeth, go take out the trash, they do it at first out of obligation. They're like, mom said, do it, I gotta do it. I'm obligated, I'm a child. You know, how many of you have parents? I'm the parent, I said so, go do it, right? You know, you do it out of obligation. But there'll come a time where they make a switch and they start to do it because they trust you and they love you and they know that you have their best interest at heart. It's the same way with our father. You don't have to do it out of obligation. You can make the switch and know that he, that he loves you, that he cares about you, that you can trust him, that he is faithful, that he has your best interest at heart. And so when I read the word, I'm not doing this out of obligation. I'm doing it out of love for my God because I know he loves me and he trusts me and he's gonna, he's gonna help me. He has the best, my best interest at heart. And so we obey the word of the Lord. And so, we pray to the Lord. We trust the Lord. We obey God's word. Then number four, look at verse five. We love the Lord. Verse five says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, to the love of God. Now, theologians will debate and say, well, that means uh, your love for him, or that means his love for us. I think it can be both. That the more we love him, the more we recognize his love for us that the more that we experience his love, the more we love him. Like it's just a cycle that we can, that, that you don't have to know. This is the point today. When we talk about the love of God, you don't have to just know God loves you. You can experience God's love. See, I can tell you that honey is sweet and you can know that it's sweet, but it's not until you taste that honey that you experience its sweetness. And it's the same way with the love of God. You can sit in church week after week, year after year, and hear somebody preach at you that God loves you. And it means nothing to you until you experience it. And today is the day that you can not only know that God loves you, but you can experience it. The Bible says he pours out his love on you. And maybe you're wondering, well, how can I experience the love of God? Michael, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. You don't know the life that I live. If, if, if it was to come out, if I was to be exposed, man, people would hate me. They would talk bad about me. Welcome to the club. We're all sinners in need of a savior. God is not mad at you. He's madly in love with you and he wants to lavish and pour out that love on his children. And this is made possible. The love of God, you can experience God's love through the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans, Romans chapter five, verse five. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. So when Paul prays that, that God might direct your hearts to the love of God, he's saying that God's gonna do it through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Did you know that you, that you have the Holy Spirit in you not to just lead you and guide you to all truth or to bring co correction or conviction so we can experience God's love through the Spirit of God, that He dwells in your heart to direct you, to lead you and guide you to, to the love of God. And so Paul prays that that Holy Spirit would direct your heart. Today, that's my prayer, 
That's our prayer. We have an intercessory prayer team and they've been praying for this service and they're praying that your hearts would be directed to the love of God, that you would open up your hearts to receive that love. And then not only that, number five, as we close, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul also prays that the Lord would direct their hearts not only to the love of God, but to the steadfastness of Christ. That he is exhorting the Thessalonians church to persevere in the Lord. Now, this has been a common theme throughout First and Second Thessalonians. I can't, I can't think, I can't recall a time that I've said more: stand firm and persevere, and, and and don't give in, and don't bend, and don't break. This this series has caused us to talk about it over and over and over again. And as Paul ends the chapter, ends the book, he gives us a key. He pulls back a layer to this perseverance, and he says that this perseverance is found in Christ. And now as you begin to study that and read about that, what Paul is saying is that because you trust in the Lord, because you're connected to him, that you can take on his likeness. And just like Jesus Christ himself persevered in the face of adversity, you can too. And so that when a believer goes through adversity, we don't respond like the world responds. We respond like our God responded. That he who knew no sin became sin and he stood as a lamb before the shearers in silence. That he persevered. That he, that he could have spoke and, and angels could have rescued him. He could have escaped their grips. But what he did is he laid down his life. He persevered. He, he did not give in. He's, he chose to stand firm. And so what Paul is telling us is that Christ set the example of heart for hardship and opposition, that he wasn't shaken, he wasn't wavering, he wasn't unstable. No, 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 he was settled, he was fixed, he was firm, and that he became steadfast. And we too, because we have Christ, we can persevere. We can be steadfast in the midst of adversity because we have Jesus Christ. There's twice in Revelation, you can write it down, uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14, where we hear a call for steadfastness of the, state, of the saints. Church, we must be steadfast in a world that's crashing. The tides are rising and we must be un unmovable, as Corinthians tells us. We must be stable and not shifting as we read in Colossians. We must stay the course, be steady under trial, be steadfast. Steadfast means to hold steady. Now hold it steady. Don't let it waver. Don't let it, don't let it bend. Don't let your faith waver in the midst of adversity. Don't begin to doubt God when trials come. Don't let it knock you off course. We must stand firm because Jesus Christ stood firm. And we are like our Savior being transformed into him more and more every single day. And so not only do we pray to the Lord and trust him and obey his word and, and love him with all our hearts. No, not only that, we persevere because Christ persevered. That he made it through the end that we can make it through as well. And not only that, he's with us in it. He might not deliver you from the peril, but he'll provide protection for you in the midst of those hard times. And so we can rest assured, we can have hope. Even as we go in to 2024, we can be optimistic knowing trials will come, tribulations will come. There might be more valleys than there are mountaintops, but God is with me and he's for me. And it is a moment that God can show himself so strong that in every mountain that we face, 
We don't have to complain to God about how big that mountain is. We can look at that mountain and we can speak to that mountain and we can tell that mountain how big and strong our God is. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads together as we close in a time of reflection. As we focus now on strengthening that connection. For some of us today, it's, it's a time to start your connection. For others of us, we're going to strengthen our connection. Regardless of what camp you find yourself in today, today's the day to open your hearts to the Holy Spirit, to let Him speak to you. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you're doing business with the Lord, you're allowing Him to speak to your heart. You're connecting to Him. Even children in the room today, they're going to give their life to Jesus. The last day of 2023 is going to be the year that everything changes. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we're going to make some bold declarations in the room today. We're going to, by faith, boldly stand and say that we stand for Jesus Christ, that we're giving our lives to Him. As you're in the room today, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, the Bible tells us that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that He rose from the grave, if you surrender your life to Him, then you shall be saved. And this is a moment for you to make that confession, to decide in your heart that He is Lord and surrender to Him. In a moment, we're all going to go back into worship. Our prayer team is going to be along the side walls. They're along the side walls because they want to pray with you. It's an opportunity for you to confess to them that Jesus is now your Lord. And they're going to celebrate with you. They're going to give you resources. They've got a, a Bible for you. They've got a new believer's guide for you. But more than that, they want to connect with you so that you don't have to do this faith journey alone. So many of you are going to give your life to Jesus today. Others, you're going to come back home to him. I was connected, then I got disconnected. And now it's time for me to connect back with Christ. They would love to pray with you as well. But if you're in the room today and that's your next step to connect with Christ, maybe for the first time or the fifth time, the sixth time, but you're coming home to connect with your Savior. If that's you, would you lift up your hands and let me know who I'm praying for today? Say, that's me. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Today's my day. I'm connecting with Jesus. I'm giving my life to Him. You can put your hands down all over this house if we could stand to our feet. This is now a time where we move into response, responding to what God is doing in our hearts. More than just lip service, it's heart service that we are surrendering our hearts to Him. And how, how we're going to end a service in 2023 is in worship, where we're worshiping the true God, the King above all kings. And so you can respond in the altar. You can respond to the prayer team, or maybe you just want to stand at your seat and, and worship Him. What we're not going to do is leave this place not connected to Christ. We're going to connect to, connect to Him because He's in the room today to connect to you. Will you surrender to Him? Come on, let's pray. Father, Right now, we're surrendering over to you. God, we're laying our, our flesh, our pride, 
We're laying ourselves before you, crucifying it, Lord, and surrender to our Savior. And God, we thank you that you're in the room today, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're drawing us in. And so, Lord, we, we don't resist that pull no longer. We, we give into it. We give into what you're calling us to do. We step out by faith. We're ending this year connected with you, knowing that we'll go into the new year connected with you. And Father, we thank you for it. We honor you and we worship you in spirit and in truth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord together.